Happy Halloween. In today's episode, we're going to discuss some elements of horror in the spirit of the day. Not horror in the sense of gore and slasher movies. Horror in the sense of where we could be heading economically, culturally, and politically. We're going to kick off the episode with a video that's circulating on X, formerly known as Twitter, where a millennial is giving his rebuttal to Dame Ramsey based off of some criticisms that Dave Ramsey is doling out to the millennial generation in terms of their ambition, their productivity, and upward mobility. I'm going to give my take on both Dave Ramsey and the millennial. Then I'm going to discuss and give my review and commentary on Dinesh D'Souza's new movie, Police State. I'm going to get in depth about the movie, discuss some elements of the movie that I found to be profound and insightful. And then I'm going to cap off the episode in the spirit of Halloween by discussing who is quickly becoming my favorite film critic, Sean Chandler, and his classic horror movie, Bracket Showdown. It was super interesting, it's fun, and it's a cool discussion for the holiday. So let's get into it. Yo, this is Hanging with Apes, an Audio Apes podcast. Real talk, real topics, no limits. Audio Apes, music with no boundaries. What's up, everybody? I'm K-Cartoon. I'm one half of the Audio Apes, and you are officially Hanging with Apes, a weekly Tuesday podcast where we discuss trending topics, current news, and relevant subjects with a philosophical and comedic flair, and our take on it, two guys from the south side of Chicago. But today, there's only one guy because my co-host couldn't be here. He's under the weather, so I'm manning the fort. There is explicit language at times, so be advised. Go on over to our website, that's hangingwithapes.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. And if you want to listen to some really good rap and hip-hop, go to any major music streaming platform, type in Audio Apes, and our catalog pops up. It truly is the best. Like always, if you're listening to us on Apple or Spotify, give us a five-star review. It helps us out a lot. If you want to help us stay independent, go to our website. You can donate an amount of your choosing or buy some merch. And if you know somebody that would be interested in the things that we talk about here on the show, Please share the episode with them. We're on all podcast platforms. So if you know somebody that is interested in debates about culture, politics, all type of stuff, send them the episode because we talk about all types of stuff here on the podcast. So yeah, something good to bond over. Send somebody the episode, ask them what they think, get into a intellectual discussion about certain topics. And one of the topics that you can talk to is if you're a boomer, a baby boomer from the baby boomer generation, and you listen to the show and you think millennials aren't going about things in the right manner, you could send this episode to a millennial and get their thoughts on it. And if you're a millennial and think that the baby boomers have no right to criticize you, send this to a baby boomer and see what they think about it. Because that is the spirit of our first segment of the day. As many of you don't know, as many of you know, but some of you may not know, Dave Ramsey, he gives financial advice. And I'll be honest, I think Dave Ramsey does give a lot of good financial advice. I haven't come across a lot of people that have criticized him for his financial advice. Typically, the people that I hear come across, that I come across 
that criticize Dave Ramsey for his financial advice are typically a little bit delusional and unrealistic about finances. They typically tend to lean left and sort of have a socialist ideology, um, but normal everyday people that have somewhat of an understanding about finances and, and, and a, a basic foundation of how it works, they tend to find Dave Ramsey's advice pretty useful. With that being said, where I tend to see a lot of criticism towards Dave Ramsey, and I think this criticism is justified, is where Dave Ramsey advocates for the tradcon lifestyle now why is that a worthy criticism i think that's a worthy criticism because number one we see how the family courts treat men we see that most marriages either end in divorce or unhappy the statistics are there to back that up that's not me coming up with that that's statistics and yet dave ramsey i guess due to his spiritual background tends to lead with that a lot in fact, I've seen a video where Aaron Clary, who is an economist, criticized Dave Ramsey because a woman called in and basically told Dave Ramsey that she's in a good situation. She has a man that takes care of the situation. She has a man that is the main breadwinner of the household. She has kids with this man. And it seemed like her only issue with her circumstance is that the man wasn't marrying her and had no intention on marrying her. And basically, Dave Ramsey advised her to give the guy an ultimatum to marry her or she was going to uproot the situation. And Aaron Clary took issue with that advice because it's like, if you're in a good situation, financially good foundation, why are you advising this woman to uproot her situation just because the man isn't marrying her and has no intention on marrying her. But that's that tradcon stuff. That's how they lead in many social and cultural conversations. And I think that is a weak area on his part. And I think that that really isn't cohesive with giving financial advice as much as people want to say that Oh, well, no, because two heads are better than one. And if you're working together, and I guess in an ideal situation, that would be true. But in a situation where that's not true, it actually can hinder both people greatly. And I'm of the belief, I'm of the philosophy that people should have their own financial identities. There is the room to criticize Dave Ramsey, in my opinion. But when it comes to the standard advice for standard financial circumstances as far as credit, how to handle debt. I think he's pretty on point. He is widely against debt. Uh, he doesn't believe that there's a such thing as good debt. That's where him and like somebody like Grant Cardone greatly differ. Grant Cardone, he's a real estate mogul. He believes in debt. He's a real estate mogul, but he also gives financial advice. He believes in debt, but he doesn't believe in bad debt. So he thinks, you know, there's good debt. And and I'm an I believe in that too. I think there's such thing as good debt. Debt that essentially pays for itself and puts money in your pocket. That's different than credit card debt or 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 debt that doesn't produce or or result in anything. Dave Ramsey is not in that school of thought. 
but also that school of t thought tends to be for more so for investors and and people that have business and that type of mindset if you're an everyday working person nine to five w2 employee then staying away from debt as much as possible is probably the best mode of operation there's different ways to go about it but in today's video that i'm about to play where dave ramsey is doling out the criticisms for millennials he seems to be talking about parents that baby their millennials and as a result the millennials aren't able to progress in life so i'm gonna play the video i may pause the video at some point because it's a two minute video and what you're going to hear is dave ramsey's criticism and the millennial that's counteracting dave ramsey's criticism you're going to hear it go back and forth and then at some point in between i may pause the video to give my commentary and my take on it so here's the video five percent of millennials their parents are paying for their housing in yep. one way or another. Oh, look, a member of the most entitled and privileged generation in the history of the world is talking about financial situations that millennials are facing. And as millennials are nearing 40 and running out of time to build the kind of wealth that their generation was literally fucking handed. I'm confident. So you hear the millennial, he has an issue with the fact that Dave Ramsey is criticizing the millennial generation, obviously. Something that stood out to me about his rebuttal is when he says that the baby boomer generation was handed their wealth. That's not true. I think sometimes when we have issues with people criticizing us, it's easy to find ourselves not very empathetic and it's easy to not look at things from their perspective. But I know many baby boomers and all of them have worked incredibly hard to be in the position that they're in so with that being said if this guy this millennial that takes issue with dave ramsey's criticism if he's going to say something like that he needs to substantiate it he needs to be able to back that up with facts statistics he doesn't do that now he does do that later on in the video which i'm going to continue playing the video shortly when it comes to college and the advice that millennials were given in regards to college from the baby boomer generation, he does substantiate his claims when it comes to that. But as far as baby boomers being handed their wealth or it just being so easy for them to come by their wealth, he doesn't substantiate that. And I disagree with that notion. Let's continue. And he's going to use his obvious platform to talk about the nuances of the financial obstacles that millennials face as a direct result of his generation's decisions and stewardship. And offer some well thought out and fact and statistic based policy solutions that, you know, could help us overcome those obstacles as a society. I'm really confident that that's what he's going to do. I can't imagine any other way that this video could possibly go. Let me just tell you, moms and dads, not good. Not good for your little millennial. I agree. Um, not good, you know, that our generation can't afford basic uh, life necessities like food and shelter and, and health care. I will say, though, little millennials sounded a, a tad condescending. We're like in our fucking 30s and 40s now. You're shaking my confidence just a tad on where you're going with this, Grandpa. They are. So he has issue with being called a little millennial. He says that it comes off as condescending, but isn't saying that the baby boomers were handed their wealth, isn't that condescending? That's the issue here is if we're going to take positions, we have to take accountability 
for the positions that we take. You came off as condescending. You said they were handed their gener their generation was handed their wealth. Now you're upset when he says something that strikes you as condescending. The only issue is is that him calling you a little millennial is actually more substantiated than the claim that their generation was handed wealth because number one, you are on a social media platform essentially whining about his criticism. So that does come off as a little bit immature, little, if you will. But then also you do go on to say that your generation can't afford this, can't afford that, can't afford this, can't afford that. As if you are in the position of a child, putting the blame on another generation. And as the video goes on, you'll see taking no accountability for the decisions that your generation has made. Let's continue. Much better off to face some calluses, some stress, some hard times, make some hard choices, stand up and square their shoulders and be a man, be a woman mm -hmm. instead of a child. There it fucking is. Can we like just agree as a society that we need to stop giving microphones to bootstrap boomers? If they've said enough dumb shit publicly to last us for ever. All right, Dr. Phil, a bad financial advice. What kind of stresses, what kind of calluses do you think that we need to square our shoulders up and face? Would it be like when we were 17, 18 years old and y'all were like, you have to take out all these student loans to go to college. But then you're like, oh no, 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 but we're not going to help you because, you know, uh, going through this financial strife will make you build character. That's what I did. I got a summer job and I paid for my college education. But then neglected to tell us that your college education was the price of a 10-piece McNugget and your student loans were straightforward, simple interest set term loans. And that's if you had to take out loans at all because you basically could get your degree out of a fucking happy meal maybe you could have given us just a little head warning that you assholes have been voting for the worst education policy humanly imaginable and the costs of tuition from when you guys went to college to when we went to college went up 3700 so that's the gist of the video right there a uh, lot to cover in that last tidbit so he says he calls him doctor full of bad financial advice as I covered early on before I got into the segment, Dave Ramsey doesn't give bad financial advice. The worst financial advice that I've seen him give is advocate so greatly for men to jump into marriages. I would constitute that as bad financial advice, but I think that's also bad life advice. That's also bad advice across the board. But strictly financially, he doesn't give bad financial advice if you want to argue that there are people out there that give better financial advice 100 percent, but you'd be hard pressed to find anybody that says that he gives bad financial advice the millennial goes on to say that the baby boomer generation has continuously voted for the worst education policies maybe maybe not what we do know though is that the millennial generation has continuously voted for government waste, entitlement programs, and policies that cause inflation, which all result in it being harder to live, harder to afford a house, harder to afford tuition, harder to afford groceries. And I'll substantiate that in the very claims and criticisms that the millennial is expressing in his rebuttal. He says that they were given bad advice. The millennial generation in general was given bad advice from the boomer generation when it comes to college. That part I would agree with. Now, that's generally speaking. I feel very fortunate that I either had enough older people in my life 
to give me outside of the box advice or I had enough intuition to know whose advice I should follow and whose advice I shouldn't. Sometimes millennials, they want to come off as such know-it-alls, but when it comes to the important stuff, substantiate that you're a know-it-all, prove that you're a know-it-all and think outside of the box. But when it comes to the big decisions, you're following the same course of action as everybody before you, as the generations before you, because let's not forget that between the baby boomers and the millennials is Gen X. So you're, you're, you're following the advice of the baby boomers. You're following the course of the Gen X and you're complaining, but yet you're so much smarter than everybody else. Where was that outside of the box thinking? When, when is the, where's that on display? What makes you so smart? You have to take accountability for that. So you criticize the advice of the baby boomers, which in generally speaking, it wasn't great advice because there were a lot of baby boomers that did give the advice of, oh, go to college, take out loans and everything like that. So I will give him his credit when it comes to that, but you're not without fault. You're, it, it, it still takes an analysis from your point of view to look at the situation and be like, I, should I still go down that road even though these people are telling me to go down this road. So there's that aspect, but then the aspect of complaining that the baby boomers college and their college education and their tuition is so much lower than yours in terms of cost, but you vote for student aid. You vote for all types of government intervention when it comes to covering the cost of college. If you know anything about economics, all that does is inflate the cost of college. So the more government gets involved in terms of the cost of college, the more college is going to inflate its prices because they know that it's not the individual footing the bill. So an education that at one point costed $10,000 for the whole education, not a semester, not a year, but for the whole education, once you start voting and voting and continuously voting for the government to intervene in subsidizing education, what do you think the natural course of action is going to be for a college? The natural course of action is the is for the college to be like, okay, well, this is an education that costed $10,000, but these individuals are no longer footing the bill or only footing part of the bill. So let's jack up the prices. Let's jack up the prices. And then student loan debt and all of these different mechanisms that you're told are there to help you, but you never take time to actually look if they're helping you. Is the college education worth it? And what kind of situation are you going to be faced with once you're done with the college education? How much debt? What kind of job? How long will it take you to pay off the debt? All of these are important questions that the millennial doesn't address in his rebuttal to Dave Ramsey. I'm about balance. And so if you are going to criticize Dave Ramsey for criticizing you, you have to come with something a little bit stronger and substantiate your, your position. Now, somebody who does substantiate their position incredibly well is Dinesh D'Souza in his movie Police State, in which he explores the notion that our nation is moving closer and closer to being a police state. For people that don't know what a police state is, it's basically where the law enforcement agencies of the nation can come up with any flimsy case against you, typically for 
political reasons and agenda-driven reasons and lock you up unjustifiably, level charges at you unjustifiably. Now, Dinesh D'Souza explores this from the position of what's been going on to right-wingers in the age of Biden. In his movie, he explores how it stems from the Patriot Act, which was implemented by George W. Bush, but how it's shifted from focusing on terrorist organization to what the government is labeling extremism. And if you notice, and that's something that I pointed out to my dad when we were watching the movie, if you notice the government, Biden, the administration, the FBI, at congressional hearings, in speeches, in different situations in where they have an outlet, you notice that word is being thrown around a lot. Extremist, 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 right wing, right wing extremist. And when you look at what they consider to be a right wing extremist, it's somebody that might question the 2020 election or it's somebody that might question the virus. It might somebody that might question the jab. It's somebody that might want to know how come Hunter Biden's laptop isn't getting more traction. It's somebody that they also label conspiracy theorists. Dinesh D'Souza goes on to give examples of people that were at the Capitol during January 6th that were thrown in jail for extreme amounts of time, have, have these extreme sentences when there was no recourse for the riots throughout the year in every major city of 2020. There's no recourse for that. He goes on to give examples of of people that have killed themselves because they were facing up to 20 years for something that normally would be considered a misdemeanor, but because the government is labeling these people as extremists, they decided to latch on terrorist felony charges. The video, or the movie rather, it gets really interesting when Dinesh D'Souza is talking to somebody about what the Department of Homeland Security recognizes as a radicalization pyramid. I found this fascinating in, in a scary way, but the radicalization pyramid speaks to a pyramid of levels where if you follow or watch or absorb certain content, they classify you in one of these levels. I'll give you an example. At the base level of the radicalization pyramid, you have Fox News, you have the Heritage Foundation, you have the NRA, you have the Republican Party. The level above that, mind you, there's only four levels of the radicalization pyramid. So we're already on level two. So that by that rationale, if you consume Fox, if you're a member of the NRA, the Heritage Foundation, or you're a Republican, you already are 25% radicalized according to what these people believe. This is how crazy and how extreme they are. But now we're going to get to level two. This is interesting. Level two is if you believe in backing the blue, that's considered level two. If you consume content from Turning Point USA, yes, Charlie Kirk's organization, if you consume content from Charlie Kirk's uh, uh, organization, you are considered to be 50% radicalized. Think about that. 50% radicalized for listening to a speech from Turning Point USA. PragerU, Breitbart, if you have a MAGA cap or if you consume InfoWars, you are 20%, 50% radicalized. That was the other 25% bracket. From the from the 50% bracket, which is level two of the radicalization pyramid, it jumps drastically 
to being a Nazi, consuming the Daily Stormer, which is, according to them, a white supremacist outlet. And then after that, it goes to some symbols that I don't even know. It looks like anarchist and and a, a bunch of other like stuff that I'm not familiar with. But that's how close they consider you to being radicalized. And in their minds... In their philosophy, how radicalization works according to this pyramid. Dinesh D'Souza's movie covers that. And so why the movie is called Police State is because government agencies now use all of these things being politicized and agenda driven to justify locking somebody up. And they do it with the veil of, oh, well, this is a radical. This is a, a, a white supremacist. This person believes so on and so forth without proving it, without backing it up, all while leveling extreme charges and extreme punishments for what some might call political dissent political disagreement i do recommend the movie i think that it's something that everybody that thinks that we 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 could be verging on a police state should watch i think it's something that people should watch if they feel like some of the people that were involved in january 6 were unjustly sentenced i think some it's something people should watch if they feel like there's a certain segment of the political discourse that's being censored on social media but then there's a certain segment that can say whatever they want if you are privy to any of those things this is a movie that you're going to enjoy. It's a movie that, as Dinesh D'Souza said when he was promoting the movie on Timcast, it will spark some dialogue. It will cause some interesting conversations amongst friends and family that that might be like-minded or, or, or maybe even people that aren't like-minded if they're able to remain civilized. So I definitely give the movie um, my recommend. The documentary really is what it is, uh, my recommendation. So now, as I move on to wrap up the episode in the final segment um i want to touch on something that's a little bit less serious than the previous two segments for the spirit of halloween i want to talk about sean chandler's horror classic movie bracket breakdown i thought that this was incredibly fun incredibly interesting there's a lot of movies that i'm going to talk about here that i'm sure you might have been watching throughout the month of october you might be watching today after you listen to this episode since this episode is coming out on Halloween. Sean Chandler, as I mentioned to RX Phonics not long ago, is becoming one of my favorite film critics. I recommend you follow his YouTube channel. I recommend you watch this video that I'm talking about. It's a fun video. I actually participated in some of the voting that took place for the bracket breakdown. He put the votes up on on uh x and on youtube and if you followed him you were able to vote and you know based on the votes the movie would move forward there's a few caveats to how the movies progressed in in the rounds which i'm gonna uh, discuss in a second but i wanted to say one more thing about sean chandler before i move on the other day he did a ranking of martin scorsese's best movies and it was actually this ranking of Martin Scorsese's movies, not his best movies. He did a ranking of all his movies to date. But in this ranking, a lot of what he considered to be Martin Scorsese's best movies, I agreed with him. And they weren't the standard movies that most people say are his best movies. Because most people, you talk about Martin Scorsese and they say that Casino and Goodfellas are the best movies. And Martin, my favorite Martin Scorsese movie has always been The Departed. In fact, The Departed is 
my favorite movie ever. Not only did I think The Departed is better than Goodfellas and Casino, but I also thought there were other Mar Martin Scorsese movies that are better than Goodfellas and Casinos. In the Casino, one of which was Taxi Driver, which Sean Chandler had in his top three as well. So it's stuff like that where you look at it and it's like, okay, there are people that aren't so conventional and think outside the box when it comes to films. And and it's nice if you're into the uh, film and, and filmmaking and, and film critique. So the way that Sean Chandler's horror classic breakdown work is he has, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 16 movies to begin. And they're, every two Two movies they compete with one another and then out of the winner out of that movie moves on to the next round so he had the audience vote and based off of the audience vote he would if he agreed with what the audience voted on the movie would automatically move on so basically the the, the way that it works is the, the in order for a movie to move on it needs two out of three authorities to move on so the authorities were the audience vote his take on the movie and if there was a tiebreaker between the audience vote and his take on the movie he would resort to rotten tomatoes and he would add up the critic score and the audience score and whoever had the highest number would move on so i thought that was a very fair and balanced way so for instance if if given an example, if Halloween is the audience vote and it goes against Gremlins and Gremlins was his vote, in this case, that, that wasn't how it went down, but this is just an example, then he would resort to Rotten Tomatoes, add up the audience score from Rotten Tomatoes and the critic score from Rotten Tomatoes, and then he'd add up the, the audience score from Rotten Tomatoes for Gremlins and the audience score and the critic score for Gremlins, and then compare those two numbers, and then the movie would move on. But if the audience voted for Halloween in the poll, and he believed Halloween was a better movie, then the movie would move on without having to resort to Rotten Tomatoes as the tiebreaker, which I think was a very fair way to do it and it alleviated any confusion or a or or uh, a feeling of impropriety when it came to the ranking system and 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 the movies moving on. So in the first round, he had Halloween versus Gremlins. He had The Shining versus The Thing. He had The Exorcist versus Child's Play. And he had Psycho versus Nightmare on Elm Street. He had Scream versus Hereditary. Saw versus Get Out. Seven versus It. And The Blair Witch Project versus The Conjuring. Now, one thing I'll say right off the bat about this bracket is I was very content that he included Seven. I think Seven is a horror movie. He said that when he included Seven in the audience poll, he got some pushback because people said that seven isn't a horror movie but if you look at seven it can also be considered a drama but it does have all of the elements of a horror movie it has a killer it has a mystery it has misdirection as horror movies often do another movie that wasn't cons considered on this bracket but i also consider it to be a horror movie and i've gotten pushback on this movie is a martin scorsese movie shutter island I think that movie is very much a horror movie in the vein of the Twilight Zone and that sort of eerie filmmaking. So yeah, so I'm on the same wavelength with Sean Chandler when he included Seven. And out of that round, out of Halloween and Gremlins, Halloween moved on. 
out of The Shining and The Thing, The Thing moved on, out of The Exorcist and Child's Play, The Exorcist moved on, out of Psycho and Nightmare on Elm Street, Nightmare on Elm Street moved on, out of Scream and Hereditary, Scream moved on, out of Saw and Get Out, Get Out moved on, out of Seven and It, the and, uh, caveat, I want to say, the It is the, the, the modern day It, the the more recent it not the not the one with damn i can't think of that that actor's name not the old it the the newer it and then out of the blair witch project and the conjuring the conjuring moved on one thing i did want to say about psycho versus nightmare on elm street i believe that nightmare on elm street is a scarier movie but i feel like psycho is a better made movie technically but if we're going with the spirit of horror and scary i can understand nightmare on elm street moving on but if we're talking technically speaking i think psycho is a better movie and out of saw versus get out i think that was that was probably out of this round the closest for me and I might I don't know I might have given the edge to saw but it was get out that ended up moving forward so now out of the next round you had Halloween versus the thing I think everybody knows how that's gonna go the exorcist versus nightmare on Elm Street that's sort of a tough one scream versus get out I think that's kind of easy as well and seven versus conjuring and out of that the winner are Halloween beat The Thing, moving on. Nightmare on Elm Street beat The Exorcist. That was kind of a tough one. I think that one could have went either way. I think Scream easily beat Get Out. I don't even think that was close. And Seven beat The Conjuring. So then now we were left with Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, Scream, and Seven. Freddy versus Michael Myers. We've only seen Freddy versus Jason, but in this case we had Freddy versus Michael Myers, and Michael Myers wins. He moved on to the finals halloween and then scream versus seven seven has a special place in my heart it's one of those movies that every time it's on i can definitely watch it but i understand scream winning so scream moved on it ended up being halloween versus scream and halloween ended up being the winner so yeah that that's how that went i thought that was a fun horror movie classic horror movie breakdown uh one thing i did want to say i wanted to give a retraction of something I said on the last episode about Halloween. At the end of the episode, I mentioned that Blumhouse wanted to buy the, the that the IP is currently being shopped around in Hollywood for the hollow the Halloween intellectual property. That part is true, but I said that Blumhouse wanted to buy the IP. I misread that. Blumhouse actually produced the last three Halloweens. And they're, they are interested in repurchasing Halloween IP to take it in a different direction other than the last three Halloween movies that were released by Blumhouse. But I, I spoke about that as if they didn't make the last three movies and they did. So it's a bit of a retraction. I wasn't 100% wrong, but the the information that I put out was, was a, a little bit incorrect. So... Uh, wanted to retract that but that's the episode for this week thank you guys so much for listening the show continues to grow because you guys keep listening so keep on listening remember if we talk about something here that you know somebody would be interested in please share the episode with them we're on all pod- podcast platforms if you want to help us stay independent go to our website you can donate an amount of your choosing or buy some merch and if you're listening to us on apple or spotify give us a five-star review it helps us out a lot we'll see you guys next week we're out or i'm out
in this case, next week, it'll be us, hopefully. But this week, it was only me. So I'm out. Peace.